So a couple of, of Saturdays ago, uh, the uh, leadership team and the staff, we all gathered together, and uh, we spent a Saturday together. We, we invested our time together. We joined together in, in praying for each other, for our families, for our church family, for you. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time praying and talking and reflecting uh, about uh, how things were going, and, and we celebrated many things, but one of the many things we celebrated was how uh, this community of believers uh, within you know, just the confines of this room right now, there are so many differences that illustrate just how awesome God really is. Uh, We have people who are married and divorced and married again and single. We have people who love their jobs and people who hate their jobs. We have stay-at-home parents and students and research scientists and bank tellers and government employees and retirees and home uh, or their own, own their own business, executives, salespeople, service industry workers, accountants, unemployed and not old enough to work yet, and so on and so forth. You see where I'm coming from this? All right. We have highly educated people. We have people that did not complete high school or those that are still trying to complete high school, right? We have a, a variety of nationalities and political parties and socioeconomic situations, male, females, believers, seekers, doubters. We support a variety of sports teams because not everyone can cheer for the world champion Kansas City Royals. Had to throw that in there some point, right? You knew it was coming. I didn't wear my jersey. I thought about it, but I... Decided not to. Um, And we also have people who think sports, what's the point? It's a waste of time and money, right? So there you go. We uh, We are very eclectic in our music and in our fashion and in our movies and our theater. There are so many things that could cause us to divide and to argue and to separate, to protect our own interest and and to look out for number one. And yet here we see, as a group of people, we have the unique ability to demonstrate love and concern for others, whether it be someone we've met for the first time or someone that we've known for a long time. And that ability to love and to connect is made possible, I would suggest, because the beauty of our differences is manifested through the unity and oneness we have in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? That, that's usually if you believe or agree with me, you can say that back. So, you know, that's just for future reference, okay? One of the things I love about being a pastor here at PCC is our ability to love each other, to connect with each other, to realize that all of us are striving to discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ in a very real and personal and genuine way. And while we're not perfect in, that, in seeking to do that, we're also not content to just simply stay where we are. We want to strive to grow and to change and to be challenged and to hold each other accountable, not so we can judge each other and condemn each other, but so we can encourage one another and so we can have opportunities to grow. This morning, we kick off a three-week series that we've titled Connect, and I invite you, if you would, to grab your Bibles or use the app on your phone or your tablet or whatever you have and go to Luke chapter 10. If you're going to reach for a blue Bible that's somewhere close to you, uh, you'll find that on page 735. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. It's written by Luke, and it was, given to, uh, it was written to give an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach in an orderly fashion, as Luke himself says. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we find Jesus telling the story of the Good Samaritan. If you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, you might recall that we looked at that text in light of being a disciple of Jesus. As disciples, we are called to see a need and try to meet that need. We're also called to to see a hurt and strive to heal that hurt. That's what we do as disciples. 
And I have to tell you that since that time, God has continued to present this story to me. It was referenced in a magazine article that I was reading. It was used as an example by a missionary that my family supports. Uh, I received a couple of emails from, from some of you sharing how this story continues to resonate with you as you strive to allow it to be something that not only you know to be true in your head, but you allow it to be true in your heart and you allow it to change your life and affect you and affect the way you live your life on a daily basis. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this text. We're going to look at it from a couple of different perspectives, and we're going to see if we can can strive to allow this story to impact us, not only on an individual level, but also as a community of believers, and to see what God would have us do after we kind of wrestle with this text. So we're going to read this rather lengthy passage of Scripture. I invite you to follow along in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you want to. The text says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Is what Jesus asked him. He said, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who's my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, when he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine and then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? That's the question Jesus asked back to him. And and the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for this story and and what it illustrates for us. As individuals, as a community of believers, and God, I pray that it would take hold in our hearts and in our minds, and it would change us. Thank you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, this is a great story. It's a story that I would suggest that either you know already or it's one that you should know. A story that's taught in Sunday school and it's a story that when you're taught it in Sunday school, you're taught that it's all about loving God and about loving your neighbor and, and, and that's what the whole thing is all about, which is true. And so for just a moment, I invite you to think about this question. Who has been a good neighbor to you? Who's been a good neighbor to you? If you think about the people in your life, who's been a good neighbor to you? Growing up out in the middle of nowhere, our nearest neighbor uh, was a quarter of a mile away, and they were my grandparents. So I'm not sure that really counts as being your neighbor. My next closest neighbor was a mile away, and that was my aunt and uncle. The next one was a mile and a half away family, right? So I don't know that I ever really understood this neighbor, you know, having a physical neighbor, until Michelle and I got married and we moved to O'Fallon, Missouri. We uh, bought this little starter home and this little upstart community, uh, you know, this new neighborhood. 
And it was the, uh, the couple across the street. We started talking to them. We talked about life and things. Uh, they were good neighbors. Then when we moved to Oklahoma, again, it was the couple across the street. He worked for Blockbuster. Remember when that was a thing, right? I don't know what he's doing today. Obviously not that. But, but uh, they, they were great. We would, we would get each other's mail for, for each other. We, you know, we'd pick up the paper, keep an eye on the house. Um, here in New Jersey, it's the family next door. They've been great. Their kids come over to our house often for Casey cookies. Our kids, you know, swing on the swing together and jump on the trampoline together. Um, we watch fireworks together every 4th of July. It's kind of the thing we do. He kept our house from burning down one time. You know, those good things that neighbors do uh, when, they're, when they're good neighbors. And, and if you think about it, I would guess that, that you can probably come up with people in your mind who are good neighbors, because I would suggest good neighbors are something that all of us want, right? And yet, the real question that we kind of need to wrestle with for a moment is, can we be people like that? Can we be that kind of friend? Can we be that type of good neighbor? I think for a, for a long time, the church has tried to step around the radical nature of what Jesus had to say in this parable. I really do. As followers, and maybe even as pastors, we we read these words of this parable and we manage to reduce them down to some charitable act that we perform with as little effort as possible. We simply uh, give to an agency in times of disaster or emergency. We, We complete this service project or we drop off a donation and then we pat ourselves on the back and we feel better about ourselves. We kind of go, oh, wow, glad that's over. But maybe it's time for us to look at this parable of what Jesus said and and listen more closely and look at it more closely and wrestle with it just a little more. What prompts a person to love their neighbor? Now, now please understand, this is not something that is designed. My goal is not to make you feel guilty because there's the haves and the have-nots in the world. Instead, over the course, uh, as we look at this parable, I hope we will discover how God intends to use us, his church, his, his body, his bride, to heal the deep hurts and to fill the deep needs and to transform the communities in which we live one person at a time. One of the reasons I like this parable is because of what the expert in the law does. Think about this with me. Have you ever had a question that you just really wanted to ask God, right? Probably have a laundry list of questions you'd like to ask him, right? Well, this guy actually gets the chance, right? He gets the chance to talk to Jesus, to ask him the question. And the question he decides to ask is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's kind of a big one, right? I think we would probably all want to have the answer to that. And so he asks Jesus the question. He cuts to the chase and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know from the text that this re- religious leader, this expert in the law, he was really trying to, uh, to trip Jesus up. He was trying to trap Jesus so that he could discredit him. But Jesus turns it around on him, and, and Jesus asks him a question. That's really what a good teacher does, right? I mean, if you think about your favorite teacher, they don't just stand up and pontificate about truth. Instead, they ask questions, and they make you think, and they cause you to wrestle with the truth head on. A good teacher is there to guide you through the process and and to help you discover that. And Jesus is a good teacher. His questions are designed to to cause people to wrestle with what they believe and what they think and to draw them closer into his truth and into a relationship with him. And in this case, instead of giving this religious leader just some answer to the question, he comes back with another question. And in verse 26, Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? 
So the expert in the law says those famous words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know why, but for years I always thought Jesus said those words. Right? But Jesus didn't say those words. The expert in the law is the one who said, in essence, you know, love God and love others. That's what you're supposed to do. And instead of going into any lengthy explanation, Jesus simply validates his statement. He goes, you know what, you're right. Do this and you're going to live. Can you imagine? Now just think about this. Try to put yourself in, in these shoes for just a minute. But you ask Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And he throws it back to you and asks you a question and you answer it. And he says, you're right. It's like being on the ultimate game show, right? Ding, 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 ding. You're a winner. Tell him what he's won, Johnny, right? I mean, that, how amazing would that be? One question test, and you ace it, right? And as I thought about that, I, I had to think, you know what? I, I guess the Beatles were right after all. All you need is love. Love God, love others, and it's so simple. And this makes sense to us, right? And, and, and we can do this. We, we know that if you take love out of the normal everyday things of life, even though every aspect of life may be good, it's lost some of its meaning, hasn't it? Add love back to the equation, and suddenly, even in times of difficulty and hardship, everything is right with the world. The religious expert asks the question, I would venture to say all of us have wanted to ask Jesus at some point or another, Jesus, what are the requirements? What must I do so that God will accept me? And in this text, we find the answer. Jesus confirms what we'd hoped to be true all along. It's love. We are made to love. So that's it. Your charge is to be a good neighbor and go love. Right? If only it were that simple. See, I gave you that charge, and everybody just kind of sits there like, okay, but what's next? You could have jumped up and ran out of here. You could have turned to your neighbor. You could have done a million different things. But you think, well, there's got to be more. He's only been up there for like seven minutes. Love God, love others. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Do this and you will live. But it can't be that easy, right? Uh, You got to think that the expert in the law was kind of clued in. Well, wait, 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 wait. That's a great answer, Jesus. It was my answer, right? But that can't be all there is. And we know there's there's more to it as well, right? We know this. Throughout history, we, we always have, have lived in this thing that we're supposed to love God and love others. That's just kind of the way you, you live your life. And it's true. That is the way we are to live our life. It really is. The problem is this. It's, it's the one glaringly obvious fact. None of us can do it. Right? To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody got that one down? Remember this religious lawyer, he asked Jesus what we must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replied, hey, you need to do these two things, these two commandments, love God, love others. But the guy was an expert in the law, remember. And so what do you want to do? 
he wanted to justify himself. That's what verse 29 tells us. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? And through the story, he's taught that the way to love your neighbor is to do as the Samaritan did in the parable. And it's true, in theory, if we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, we will inherit eternal life. But as I said, nobody can do this. At least I haven't, and I've yet to meet anyone who can. So if you're visiting with us, let's talk. Because maybe it's you. Any person who's being completely honest with themselves, I think we have to admit and we have to acknowledge the fact that, that we don't fully love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. But let's say we could. Let's say that we could, because my guess is this religious lawyer felt he kind of had that loving God thing under control, but his behavior toward other people, that was another story, and I think he knew it. So he asked Jesus the question, not how do I love God better, but who's my neighbor? And in asking the question, he hoped to put some parameters on the law. He wanted to to lessen the scope, to minimize the number of people that he had to love in his life because he knew, just like you and I know, that he couldn't possibly love everyone the way he loved himself. Not only that, I I would guess that he didn't want to love everyone that way. And if we're being completely honest, I doubt we want to love everyone that way as well. I think we want an answer to the question too, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Is it the people who live on other each you know, side of me? I, I can handle that. I will, I will do my best to love them as myself. Is it the person who lives directly across the street? Is my neighbor the people in the apartments to my right and to my left? Does it include those above me and below me as well? What about the people that when I walk out, I see their door? Do they count? I want to be reasonable here, Jesus. I I mean, surely my neighbors don't mean the ones in the other building, and certainly not that family, because they're, you know, nobody loves that family, right? Do my neighbors include the adjacent properties? Does it include my whole street, my whole block, my whole neighborhood? Who are we talking about here, Jesus? Because we need to narrow this down, because God can't possibly expect us to love the whole neighborhood that way, does he? Ain't nobody got time for that. We think about that, we think, man, come on, God, that's, that's impossible. That's unreasonable. So Jesus tells a story, and he uses a despised Samaritan as the hero, and he says, hey, that's your neighbor. That's how wide this category really is. That's who's included. The person who lives next door to you, who does nothing with his leaves except let the wind blow them on your freshly leaf-blown yard. Not that I would let anything like that bother me, but that's your neighbor, and you're supposed to love them as you love yourself. We can just be really transparent. It's not easy to love people, is it? It's just not. People are hard to love. A guy I know shared that he went to his mailbox and received a notice that a convicted sex offender was living nearby. He has two young daughters, and he shared that he has no desire to be a good neighbor to that person. Instead, he was industriously trying to figure out ways to make sure that they never met, and they would never meet. Being a good neighbor can be tough. Not long ago, I was told that someone hurt someone I love. And my first thought was not, oh, I need to love them. I need to pray for them. My first thought was, I think I'm going to call the guy that told me if I 
ever needed to get rid of a body, I could call him. I'm not very good at this. And my guess is, you're not either. So what are we going to do? If the way to inherit eternal life consists in us loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind and loving our neighbor as ourselves, guess what? We are in big trouble. Or at least I'll speak for myself. I am in big trouble. And I think that's exactly the point Jesus was trying to make with this religious expert. This man had been trying to trap Jesus, but instead Jesus showed him we cannot fulfill the conditions of the law. And because we couldn't do it for ourselves, Jesus did it for us. That's why he came. It's what the prophets talked about uh, long ago. Uh, the prophet Isaiah was talking about Jesus when he said, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Do you see what Jesus did? Do you see how he loved us? What we couldn't do on our own, God, through Christ, he did for us because we were, it was impossible for us to do it on our own. Our own shortcomings, our pride, our deceitfulness, even our lack of love has been set aside and replaced by Christ's perfection because of his great love for us. He loves us more than he loved himself. And because of that, he was willing to lay down his life for us so that we could truly have life and life eternal. And here's the kicker. Do we deserve it? No. Can we earn it? Can we love enough? No. But can we respond to what Jesus did for us on the cross? I believe not only can we, we, but we must. We should. It's what we are called to do. God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he's given us the gift of life and the gift of love. And our lives need to be a gift of love in response because of what he's done for us. Today... If you've caught just a glimpse of what Jesus has done for you, and maybe you've caught that for the first time, I would like to suggest that your response to the Lord because of his love for you is to turn your life over to him, to place your life in his care, to make him the Lord and Savior of your life by acknowledging him, by accepting him. And if that's you today, we want to invite you. We want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord 
And in just a moment, we're going to, to sing a, a song of response. And when we sing, we invite you to make your way to the front or to the back of the auditorium where members of the, the leadership team and, and the prayer team and the staff would love to, to meet with you and to pray with you and just to talk with you about, about what God is doing in your life. And maybe for you, you've already turned your life over to, to the Lord and, and you've accepted him. And, and so my suggestion uh, for you and for me and for everyone who fits that category is this. In light of Jesus' great love for us, we are entrusted to love God back, to love our neighbors the same way that he has loved us, to allow this not to be just something that we know and we hear at church, but something that we believe and it starts to change us and to, to affect our lives. Maybe it'll change the way we interact with people because of the outpouring of God's love in our life. We allow that to be loving toward other people. Maybe today you just simply want someone to pray with you and to encourage you, to hold you accountable, to to challenge you, to love God and to love others just just a little bit more than you have in the past. You're going to lead us in this song of response. You make your way to the front of the back of the auditorium. We'd love to meet you there. Stand with me as we sing.